From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 445. Today's show is brought to you by Rocket Money, Electric, and Capital One. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. I have a Snell Talk question for you. It comes from Wes. Wes wants mm-hmm. to know, Jason, are you on Mastodon? And which of the six accounts is Jason? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why search on Mastodon works the way it does, where like your accounts that are redirected to other accounts still show up in search. Mm-hmm. You'd think that they would like say, no, 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 you can't find me here. I don't know. And I don't need to be written. Nobody write in with an explanation of why this is good, actually. Uh, anyway, uh, as it says on all the pages that refer to me now, basically, it's uh, jsnell at zeppelin.flights. I brought it back yesterday or Saturday, inspired by Stephen Hackett, who created eWorld.social. So a good. jerk. So, so good. good. So good. All these good server names, I'm like, ooh, do I want to, like, mm. do I have a good, you know? I'm like, I like the joke of it all. So it's like, it's yeah. tempting me, but. You might have to get on on social media. Well, you could also do. I, I will say, you could also get on and make your make your own little novelty domain and all of that, and then just set up automation to auto post for you, and you wouldn't actually be there. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be that would be something you do bots. But anyway, I'm there. I was on Mastodon.social. I decided that I was going to revive Zeppelin.flights, which was in a weird. I shut it down, um, but the Fediverse doesn't seem to know that um, that you're dead. <laughs> so, yeah. so it like still listed Zeppelin.flights even though it had been shut down since 2018. So when I turned it back on and created my account the f- and hadn't redirected anything for Mastodon.social yet, I started picking up all these followers. And it was literally, I think, servers had been asking Mastodon or asking Zeppelin.flights to talk to it since 2018. Mm-hmm. Mike, I didn't just shut it down because it was running on, on Mastohost, which it is again. I didn't just su- shut it down. I shut it down. I let the domain expire. Whoa. Oh. I re- I repurchased the domain like a month ago. Uh-huh. I turned on Mastohost again for Zeppelin.flights on Saturday. It's And remember, they nuke the configuration, so it's like a completely empty server. I create a new user with my name, and suddenly the Fediverse is like, you have 73 followers. Like, what? Amazing. So I guess that's how resilient it is, but also pretty funny. There is a iMic on Zeppelin.social. Or Zeppelin.flights, I should dot say, flights? sorry. So Is I, there? I must have signed up at some point on Zeppelin.flights. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that was. Uh, August 2018, apparently. Well, what you, what you should do, I'll, I'll send, I can send you an invite link. What you should do is reclaim that name. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then if you ever set up a Mastodon something somewhere else, you can then forward that. Because right now, it's, those are all like mm. ghost users because they so have to confusing. be recreated. Ooh, ghost Ugh. users. Anyway, it's super easy to use this Vastodon. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's not complicated at all. No. Also, I will say the process of transferring, people are like, oh, yeah, you transfer your your, uh, your followers and it's not a problem. Like, okay, well, when you've got whatever I had, 10, 11, 12,000 followers, I don't know. Um, it's not so easy because I, I, I do with the transfer and it's like you have 1,000 followers. And I'm like, what? And then I spend the weekend watching the, the, the uh, activity view and it's like, 
a whole bunch, like everybody at this server is now following you. Everybody at this server is now following you. So obviously the way a transfer works is the server checks mastodon.social. Mastodon.social says, oh, Jason moved. And then it it looks for zeppelin.flights and asks it. And so then the server got real slow because although I'm not paying for the cheapest Masto host, I'm not paying for the most expensive Masto host either. Um, And... It uh, it's got it got slow and and then but I kept checking in and it was like now you have got three thousand followers now you have got seven thousand followers now I got about ten, so it sort of caught up. But in the meantime, Dan also transferred his stuff. Dan Morin transferred mm-hmm. his stuff and that slowed the server down again. So we're going through it again, but it's uh it's working and uh and in the long run I decided that yeah if I it, it feels it feels to me and this is what Stephen Hackett told me it feels to me like our community generally just sort of this community of of Apple and tech and stuff like that, that stuff seems to have moved to Mastodon. All our engagement on Twitter is dropped to nothing and people seem to be on Mastodon. It's funny because there are other aspects of uh, stuff that I follow on Twitter, like that sports list I talk about that it's just going on like nothing happened to Twitter. Seriously, it's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they but don't care. Why our, would they care? <laughs> like It's just us that right. cares. Cause but our care. community cares and yeah. has moved. And I thought, and I thought well, you know what? Uh, Steven's right. I think our community is here. Um, I do kind of want to own my own uh, place in this fediverse, in the universe of of alternate socials. Um, I already had Zeppelin flights. Why not? It's already, it still appears as a ghost. <laughs> I'll just bring it back. So I brought it back. So it's uh, for for uh, any of my collaborators at The Incomparable and uh, Six Colors, which are all part of the same corporation. We have a Zeppelin. It's Zeppelin.flights. And uh, and that's where I am. Yeah, it was over the weekend, like seeing Stevens and seeing you. I was, I was like, oh, this is this looks like fun, but right. I don't really know how realistically how fun it is <laughs> to move it. The bots. I mean, Stevens Stevens using a different method than me. I'm using Make.com. He's I forget if he's using if this then that or something else. Um, we were using Make.com for a bunch of automations on the incomparable and six colors. And adding Mastodon to those automations was really easy, and that's why that's why I suggested if you really wanted to, you could you could set up an instance and a and a user and just create an auto post thing yep. that posts the. It's essentially like if you'd like to see what I'm doing, follow this account. And it's not you really; it's your podcast. When your podcast goes live, and when your podcast posts, and when you're right, it would be that stuff. When you're selling a new something, and it wouldn't be so much interactive as sort of a live stream for Mike Hurley. You could do that if you do wanted people to. people want that though? Like I don't know. I don't I don't, know I don't know. want that to be honest. Well, I mean they wouldn't fo- they wouldn't follow you if if they didn't want that. But yeah. I guess like that's the question is would they follow you? Yeah. But the 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 issue for me though is like if I have a like an active presence like that, I am going to be reading it more and stuff and that's like kind of what I'm trying to not do right now cuz I just get sucked in forever. So like I don't know, I need to think about it. But I haven't, you know, where I am right now. I'm happy where I am right now. I don't have an active presence on any text-based social media. Sure, maybe it will change because I'm starting to get like, I don't know. I'm like looking, look, you guys are doing, listening to app stories. They're talking about all these cool new apps, and it's just like ah, uh, feeling a little bit left out. But one way or another, there's something I'm not gonna like. I just haven't decided which one it is yet. That's okay. I mean, I, I, um, it's all part of a process, right? And there's, and there's no right or wrong, uh, process. I, I am using Mastodon, but way less than I use Twitter. And I'm almost, and I'm not essentially posting on Twitter anymore, but I am reading 
mostly that sports list and that's about it. Maybe occasionally a mention or something. So I'd say my net brain space devoted to social media has gone way down, which I think is a good thing. If you would like to send in a snow talk of your own to help us open an episode of Upgrade, just go to UpgradeFeedback.com and submit it. You can click the link in your show notes to do so. I have some follow-up for you, Jason Snell. Most of this, okay. uh, as usual, coming from the wonderful uh, Upgradians who write in to UpgradeFeedback.com, which I very much appreciate. We get so much great follow-up these days. Uh, more than we used to. So I'm very thankful for people sending that stuff in. Anthony wrote in to say, regarding the entry-level Sonos speaker recommendation from Ask Upgrade uh, last week, um, Anthony says, I got started with the $119 Symphonisk that is a Sonos and Ikea collaboration. I had forgotten about these products. Uh, Anthony says, they sound great and work with the Sonos app. Uh, though I just use them via AirPlay. So IKEA and Sonos have a selection of products. Some are lamps, some are speakers, some are picture frames with speakers inside them. Uh, it all works with Sonos, and you know it's kind of maybe to try and make these products a little bit more integrated into your home stuff. So I haven't used these, but I've, it's a good recommendation if you're looking to get started with Sonos. This is an even easier, cheaper, and maybe less intrusive way uh, to bring Sonos into your home. Uh, Steve wrote in in regards to uh, the AR headset and controllers and says a lack of controllers would limit the headset, but also keep developers focused on the end goal of glasses worn in public throughout the day, not a gaming device. What do you think about that as like a reason to not have controllers? Okay, so what I would say is <laughs> you don't buy a product for the end goal. And one Very of the things point. that we know that actually is good about VR and AR right now is gaming. Mm -hmm. So if the goal is everybody keep your eyes on the prize of what it's going to be like in five or 10 years and nobody do anything that would work today, I mean, that won't work, mm -hmm. right? That, that won't work. And what you need to do is make a product that appeals and then evolve it over time and let the appeal evolve over time. But you, what you can't do is say we're gonna make we're gonna we're gonna make this as bad a gaming device as we can because we want people to be using toning the right muscles for where we want to be in ten years. Like you can't you can't do that. So that's why when we talk about controllers, they don't have to be in the box necessarily. Although that might not be bad. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do with controllers that are very precise in ways that I I am skeptical that that camera based hand tracking is going to be as good at ready to be proven wrong. I'm sure Apple's implementation of this will be very impressive, but um you can't you can't keep developers focused on the end goal, right? Developers need to developers don't get paid by the end goal. They get paid now. Mm -hmm. And to convince developers to work on something for what's going what's going to be in 5 or 10 years is not good enough. So, um that's that's why we uh we talk about it is it would limit the headset, limiting the headset, which Steve says would limit the headset. Um it, that means it's going to limit sales of the headset, which is going to limit motivation the developers have to develop for the headset. That's exactly what Apple doesn't want. Like ultimately, it would be incredible, right? Like if the hand tracking was flawless, right? It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to open and unlock so many new things. It would be amazing. absolutely. But it's still not, even if it was flawless, it's still not going to be good for all types of video games, for example, right? So like just having controllers is 
an additional good thing, like prioritize hand tracking for everything else if you want to, and you'll still get to that end result, right? Like if, you know, like you're not going to necessarily need hand tracking, uh, sorry, a, a game controller for your calendar app, like just use hand tracking for that. And you can, people can then advance that for apps, utilities, that kind of things. But for some games, controllers will always be really helpful. Um, so why not do both, I guess? Right. And we spoke on last episode about a potential of a folding iPad that Ming-Chi Kuo was talking about in 2024. There were a few mm-hmm. stories that came oh, up boy. afterwards. Mark Gurman and Ross Young said they hadn't heard anything about a folding <laughs> iPad. No, whoa, whoa. This, this was the rumor reporting equivalent of somebody saying, I heard a thing, and everybody else being like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Yep. We didn't hear that thing. We didn't hear about that thing. Fascinating to see that in action, right? Mark Gurman's like, nope, haven't heard a word about this, which doesn't mean it isn't going to happen. No. But I think the implication there is that if he hasn't heard about it, a word about it, it's probably not uh, quite right. And Ross Young says that he heard that there was a 20.5-inch screen being prepared for a foldable notebook on the cards for 2025. I just pedantically like to point out every uh, notebook is foldable. Yes, Jason. You know, every notebook uh-huh. folds. A folding screen notebook. How about that? In a, in a, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's the idea here. So his, his idea is it's a 20-inch screen that folds up into one and i haven't done the math uh of exactly what that would be when you folded it but imagine folding it into something that looks like a laptop configuration Mm -hmm. what would that be like and i i had i had that same thought which which was like i had a moment where i'm like oh this is a mac not an ipad i I, and i wonder if that's what ming chi kuo has gotten wrong is assuming based on his supply chain sources that this product is being tested and that's what's going on here right is this product's being tested and he might have some guesses based on like when they're expecting to ramp up production that that suggests late 24 and german's like that's not going to happen but right now what's going on is that apple is getting tests from manufacturers to try things and see if they want to do it and and so maybe he just saw this screen and was like, well, that's an iPad. Yep. And whereas uh, Ross Young says, no, it's uh, it's going to be a laptop and it's going to be later than that. Um, would Apple make a weird convertible laptop thing, tablet thing? Um, well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this idea that one, if, if Apple does touchscreen Macs, it gives them the ability if they choose to get weird. And this would certainly be a weird product, right? Um, and I was talking at the time about like convertibility and how you could create essentially I mean, call it an iPad mode, but it's a tablet mode for Mac OS. There's so much, uh, work that they've done on the iPad side here, uh, that I, I think it's something that they could do if they really wanted to do it. Um, and there are lots of arguments against it. And I, I've heard a lot of arguments that are like, well, but how would it work? <laughs> it's like, well, uh, I, yes, I'm not saying it wouldn't be hard, but I'm saying that, um, I'm. I I I don't appreciate the arguments that are oh it's too hard Apple will never do it because if Apple wants to do it and thinks it's important Apple will do it yeah. and and most of the people who say oh it's too hard are the same people who think that Apple never makes a wrong step and it's like well what are they are they the greatest company ever that can do whatever they want or are they incapable of solving a problem <laughs> which one is it so you know maybe this is evidence that Apple's going to get weird because honestly if that's an iPad or a laptop Still weird. If it's iPad OS or Mac OS, it's still a weird product, right? It's weird <laughs> either weird. way. It's yeah. weird either way. So, and then and then Mark Gurman was like, "I don't know what they're talking about." 
<laughs> like, nope. <laughs> so, because because the report I think Mark Gurman made was that touchscreen MacBook Pro just a more conventional thing in 2025. So it's all kind of out there. But I love the idea that that uh, that Apple's maybe potentially thinking yeah. of getting weird. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, let's do it. Let's honestly, like, I like Apple. Apple's in a great product place right now. They don't need to destroy the products they've got. The products they got are very successful. But it's been a while since Apple did something really different. And I would love to see them uh, try to reinvent some category, you know, in the next few years. Well, I mean, they're going to do it with a headset. It's the plan, right? Like That's it's true. The, That's true. Know, that's the expe- expectation. That's, that's obviously true. what they're going for. Otherwise, don't bother. So Maybe this is just like a, a, hat, a headset you wear, like a hat, like a hat set. A hat set. You just yeah. fold it up and, and put it on your head. Yeah. Notebook hat. And walk around. No, Yeah. Hat book. In Upgrade Plus today, we're going to be talking about our results on the latest Upgrade Plus challenge. Jason and I have been using the Arc browser from the browser company for the past we week. We're mm-hmm. going to be giving our thoughts on that. Uh, if you are not a member supporting Upgrade Plus, go to getupgradeplus.com and you will get longer ad-free versions of the show and you will hear all about our experiences with the Arc browser. And also, uh, probably by the time you're hearing this, uh, sometime on Monday, the Six Colors Report card for 2022 will be published. This is where Jason goes out and talks to a bunch of people uh, in the community um, and asks them to grade Apple's year in various categories. Uh, We're going to be talking about this on next week's episode, which I'm excited about. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Rocket Money. Trying something for free for 30 days is enough time to try and com- actually completely forget about the subscription or service that you signed up for. Before you know it, you're paying for something you don't use every single month. Well, with Rocket Money, you can change that with just a few quick taps. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they have forgotten that they ever signed up for. You know, there's that streaming service that you bought to watch that one show you were hooked on and then the season ends and then you just forgot to cancel it and you never use it for anything else. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify these subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Simply find the subscription you don't want, press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money canceling subscriptions is as easy as a click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Them canceling for you? That's the best thing ever, right? No longer having to try and go through some dialing code, like telephone tree thing to get through to the person you want to speak to. To cancel an online service? Come on. This is what's so awesome about Rocket Money. Not only are they helping you save money, they're also helping you save time and aggravation by going through this hard stuff for you. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com upgrade. That's R-O-C-K-E-T-M-O-N-E-Y.com upgrade. Rocketmoney.com upgrade. Our thanks to Rocket Money for their support of this show and Relay FM. Rumor Roundup time. Saddle Ooh. up, Jason Snell. Yeehaw. We're going to go back to our friend, Mark Gurman, over at Bloomberg, who is reporting 
that Apple has decided they will not be continuing with the role of industrial design chief after Evans Hankey departs the company. So this is something we spoke about uh, last year, that Evans Hankey was going to be leaving Apple. And there was a conversation of like, well, what's going to happen? Well, quote from uh, Bloomberg, instead, the company's core group of about 20 industrial designers will report directly to Jeff Williams, Apple's chief operating officer. The company will also give larger roles to a group of Apple's longest tenured designers. So this will ultimately be linking design, industrial design, and operations even further. Alan Dye is going to remain as head of software design. Do you have any, like, I mean, a lot of people will say this is doom and gloom. Uh, sure. Like, this is a big Fits change. This is bad. Like, what do you think about this? Oh, you Apple sold its soul. Mm-hmm. Sold its soul. Um, look, it's a black box, right? We don't know what's going on in there. Unless you're one of those small number of people who understand the situation, you don't know the the what's going on. My read on this, uh, putting on my, taking off my rumor roundup cowboy hat for a moment and putting on my senior vice president and editorial director hat that I wore for a little while. Um, my corporate hat. I would say my my best guess is Johnny Ive and a bunch of his people leaving with Johnny Ive left a a bit of a vacuum. Right? A bit of a vacuum in terms of leadership. And they ended up with a situation where they have Evans Hankey and she seemed like a good choice to run this group. But that clearly when she said she was going to leave, it looks to me like what's going on here is that they didn't have anybody. And Mark Gurman, in fact, uh, in his newsletter this week, referred to this as a uh, a failure of succession planning. Uh, maybe. I mean, he's got sources inside who might tell him that. Um, I do wonder if some of the succession planning involved lieutenants of Johnny Ive who left with Johnny Ive, right? Which you end up a in a lot. situation... Where yeah, where you've got like a bunch of people who like Johnny want to do something different, and Evans Hankey, you know, agrees to or or decides to stay for a while, but but she decides to leave too, and you haven't necessarily had time to cultivate somebody who steps up. So that that's my initial read on this is that they, there was no clear choice as a successor, um, or that there were multiple sort of shaky choices as a successor. And maybe they decided, because this line about also give larger roles to a group of Apple's longest tenured designers, sounds to me like maybe there was a group of people who were kind of qualified, but none of them at the level where management thought we could put this person in charge, or potentially we could put this person in charge without losing all the rest of them, right? Because that also happens. That's a dynamic where you've got peers, and then one of them gets promoted and the other ones get out. So, and this is super important, critical to Apple. So, you know, my guess, yeah, people talk about them reporting to Jeff Williams. Uh, reporting to Jeff Williams is primarily because there's nobody, they can't elevate somebody. I, don't, I think this is less about a uh, an operations control thing than it is about uh, personnel. Like, bottom line, this reads to me as personnel, which is there are a lot of personal dynamics there. And maybe it's true that they they have not been training up you know, Evans Hankey didn't train up her replacement or none of them, you know, or or tried and they were found wanting or all of them seem to be about equal. Um, but that seems to be, to me, what's going on here. Now, my guess is that a part of as a part of this process, those larger roles people are going to be prompted, 
you know, and watched as potential uh, leaders of the design group. This also doesn't read to me as necessarily a group that will never go without a leader, but you know, and, and if this is the case, I think it's actually, I hope this is the case because that's the good management scenario, right? The good management scenario is nobody going to step up. Best thing for the organization is to put more power into these individual teams that have these long tenured designers as their leaders and let them continue to do their jobs without a person at the top level. And we're, and, and sorry, um, Jeff, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to talk, check in with a, a, a bunch of people instead of one person. Now, the the, pr- the thing about this that makes me tilt my head a little is is not oh, des- operations has taken over design. It's how many people are reporting directly to Jeff Williams at that point. It's not it's not twenty, right? But it's the the pr- presumably the larger roles people are going to report to Jeff Williams directly. And it's like, is Jeff Williams really going to supervise them? Um, how is that going to work? Are they given free reign? Are they trying to deal with a boss who's being, I mean, I've had that where I've reported to a boss who has a bazillion reports and that can go two ways, right? Actually, even with the same boss, this happened with me where um, he put tremendous amounts of authority in my hands and let me do, uh, make decisions. He was like, he didn't want to sweat the small stuff at all. But when he rolled in and wanted to have an opinion he had to get up to speed. We had to, I had to manage him because he didn't really know the context of it. And like, that's the, that's the, that's the problem with that situation is you get autonomy, but you still have a boss and the boss doesn't understand what you're doing. And so when the boss decides that they want to roll in and, and, and do something, you've got to get them up to speed, which can be really hard. And they can make, they can have a, an incomplete uh, understanding of what you do because of it. So that that part is a little bit of a red flag here, but I think the answer is that, um, yeah, we can ding Apple for lacking su- succession planning here, but this is a group that had a very long-standing leader who left with a lot of his lieutenants. I, I'm not surprised that they're in this situation, especially since Evans Hankey was identified as this, and then she has left fairly quickly, leaving them presumably with you know, a, a solid design group that doesn't have anybody who looks like the manager or anybody who looks so clearly like the manager that they aren't going to suffer even more loss of people if they promote them. That's my take on it. It is, I think, worth considering, like what I was thinking about when I read this, is these roles, the industrial design chief and the software design chief where Alan Dye is remaining in, these roles were created when Johnny was on his way out, when they were trying to keep him but he didn't want to work there anymore, right? Right. Uh, And so they created these two job roles to basically be him. Maybe Apple just doesn't want these job roles anymore. They were created for a specific purpose, and they're not going to remove Alan Dye from the position because he's doing a good job, they feel. Uh, But maybe when Alan Dye does move on, he wouldn't be replaced either. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's possible. My guess is that if you've got somebody who's capable of running the design group and reporting to Jeff Williams rather than having a group of people (laughs) reporting to Jeff Williams, everybody would prefer that. I would think. I would think that you would not, unless, unless the goal is, I mean, to 
for the people who are out there who are convinced that this is the case, unless the goal really is to sort of like depower the design group and, and make them all just sort of like individual groups that all report separately to Jeff Williams and they don't have any, any power because they're all just sort of like down in the trenches and there's nobody speaking up for design in general. And maybe that's the plan, but my guess is it's more about the people. It's just that, and, and, and we should say, because I, I don't think it's come up today. Um, you don't hire outside for somebody like, like this. You don't. You don't like uh, like it like it or not. Apple is not a company that's capable of bringing in uh, somebody from the outside for a role like this. They just they just aren't. That we we've seen it time and again. Bringing in senior people who are from not from Apple to Apple doesn't work well. The only exception would be if there was somebody who had worked in this group and then left and wanted to come back in that role. And who knows? Maybe they talked to people about that too. But that obviously didn't happen. So. It's hard. All speculation, right? We don't we don't know more than the, these basic reports. But I would think personally, <laughs> I would if I were Jeff Williams, I would prefer to have a head of industrial design instead of having a whole mm. bunch of the former lieutenants now reporting to me directly. Right. Like I, that's happened before. Right. A senior mm. person leaves and suddenly you're like, OK, I guess all their reports are my reports until we hire a replacement. Well, this is this is them saying all of Evans Hankey's reports are now Jeff Williams reports, I guess. Like that's not ideal. So there must be a real, like, again, either they're trying to eradicate all the strength of the design group, which I doubt, or they just don't have that person. And maybe they will someday. I don't know. I mean, I, most likely scenario there, Mike, is that they try it this way and they're like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> we can't we can't do it Jeff this way. Yeah. And somebody steps up. And that may even be the implication right now, right? It's like one of the people in this group with, who are getting the larger roles, like somebody steps up and Jeff's like, you know what? I like the I like the cut of your jib. You're now in charge of this, uh, and that that may happen. Who knows? That uh, you know, if you if you if you know something about this, let us know. If you're inside yes. an Apple, uh, send us a send us a, the the skinny. You can send in feedback via the anonymous feedback form at upgradefeedback.com, yeah, and you can let us know. Com. Somebody did actually send something in, and it was under anonymous, and they were like, "I'm an Apple engineer, and I really like listening to the show because I can talk back to you and tell you if you're right, wrong, or." <laughs> So I'd rather be right. Uh-huh. Um but, I'd rather know. be right. I had somebody I had somebody say I I I need to send you a message on Signal. <laughs> it was good. It was like ba background. It was a former Apple employee, mm. but it was on on background and uh and in that case it was very much a um you guys are pretty right <laughs> given that you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. You don't I know like that. We don't too. know. That we don't know anything. Yeah. Oh, but you can, you, you can send in completely anonymous to that form. It is also sure. as well I mean, as the feedback. It is Mike, a tips line. What if what if rumor roundup? What if we start breaking things on rumor roundup? Could you imagine? It's going to happen at some point. I hope. No, I don't think so. I doubt it. <laughs> Mark Gurman is also reporting that Apple is considering adding an Ultra phone to the iPhone lineup in 2025, starting with the iPhone 16. The iPhone 15 Pro Max will be named that. It will not be re renamed to Ultra, as some uh, believed it would, including me. Uh, but will be. But the 15 Pro Max will start this trend of further differentiating the product line with features like the periscope lens and stuff like that, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mark says Apple will also further differentiate the product's tiers of a range of materials, processors, and cameras. This is, I think, stuff we already were expecting, right? There'll be different processors in regular and pro. Titanium was pretty heavily rumored. 
for the pro line, so that will continue splitting them up. But then the Pro Max is going to get its own feature this year that will not come to the regular Pro phone. Mark is reporting that Apple is considering adding the Ultra as another phone at the top yeah. end. The Pro Not Max that. remaining. Now, I found this fascinating because what it says is Apple really thinks that having four phones or whatever is the right way to go, five phones, whatever it's going to be, my expectation here is they just drop the plus. Yeah, right? exactly. And so they still have four, but they have iPhone, iPhone Pro, iPhone Pro Max, iPhone Ultra. Because yep. I think what they've maybe come to realize is cutting features in the mid-range is not as exciting to people as adding features at the high end. Yeah. Also, I would say they seem to have learned that there is a finite number of people who want to buy the iPhone model. Yeah. And splitting it into two models doesn't really net them it's more not been great. Yeah. So why would you not take that effort and then push it up to the highest of the high end? I would say, Mike, that although you know the rumors are that this is not the case, this is the kind of place where you would do a folding phone eventually. Yeah, would be ultra. It is the yeah. the cutting edge, the the super expensive, just like those Samsung folding phones are expensive, but at the at the highest of the high end. Uh, interesting idea right because and we're going to get to the um we're going to get to the the earnings report in a little bit but one of the things and mark german noticed it which is good um uh, somebody asked tim cook about the ability for the market to bear increases in iphone price and what that says about their possibilities and tim cook was like we haven't seen any trouble like he essentially what tim cook said is Look, we raise the price on these iPhones and people keep buying them. Doesn't matter what they cost. Yep, and if you're a business person, <laughs> the next step is raise them again yep. or come out with another one that's even more expensive because I think there is truth and we don't like to hear it. I'm the guy who always says you got to find the price you want and then raise it and then round it up, right? Like we none of us love it, but clearly in Apple's in Apple's customer base and it's not everybody. It's not even uh, it, it's a, a smallish, maybe, portion of Apple's customer base. But what Tim Cook said was, this is the most important device that they own. <laughs> and they rely on it for everything, for payment. I mean, this is also actually a great way of detailing Apple's whole philosophy about the iPhone and and and, and services around it. It's like, it's the most important device they've got. It, it does their payments. <laughs> it yep. keeps their calendar. It does their email. It does. It literally does. It opens their their car door. It opens their front door. It does everything, and so people want are, are willing to spend a lot of money on this device that is the most important device for them, and and the message is clear, and it makes sense, right? Which is, if you keep raising the price of the highest end iPhone and sales just keep percolating along. Clearly, there are people out there who are probably willing to buy an even more expensive iPhone if you let them, which is not the same as saying we're going to take the existing iPhone and raise its price. And so we're going to keep that there, and then we're going to put another one above it. And you know what? Some percentage of those people are just going to buy the more expensive phone, and uh, that's th and that is why there will be an iPhone Ultra, no doubt about it. Ming-Chi Kuo is reporting that the periscope lens that would allow for better optical zoom will be exclusive to the Pro Max until at least 2025. You know, assumedly, if there was a Ultra in 24, this would right. also get that, but it's like Pro Max and above. 
This is interesting. This is clearly a feature that will give another jump in camera performance, but it's something that requires physical space, right? Yes. So yeah. So putting yeah, it in having the it on a big Max phone is sense. logical. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, also, in his power on newsletter, Mark Gurman suggested that it may be some time until we see an update to the Mac Studio. I want to read this quote in full. Yes. I wouldn't appreciate. Oh, I do appreciate. <laughs> no, that's not what Mark said. Mark said, I wouldn't anticipate the introduction of a Mac Studio in the near future. The upcoming Mac Pro is very similar in functionality to the Mac Studio and adds the M2 Ultra chip rather than the M1 Ultra. So it wouldn't make sense for Apple to offer an M2 Ultra Mac Studio and an M2 Ultra Mac Pro at the same time. It's more likely that Apple either never updates the Mac Studio or holds off until the M3 or M4 generation. At that point, the company may be able to better differentiate between the Mac Studio and the Mac Pro. This is unclear to me as to whether this is speculation yeah. or information. Yeah, it's hard to say. He doesn't, he doesn't, right? Because Mark does some pundit stuff too. And he says, I wouldn't anticipate. I mean, I think what is going on is a little bit of both, right? Where he hasn't heard. Yeah about it so therefore it probably doesn't exist and then he speculates a little bit about it i'm a little oh i don't know i'm a little skeptical i could see that it 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 happens but i'm a little skeptical about the idea that apple is afraid that if they do an m2 ultra mac studio and an m2 ultra mac pro at the same time that they're cannibalizing sales from the m2 ultra mac pro i guess i can see it but like why are we building a mac pro then right like they are they are actually very different products I think more likely is a scenario, and I, I'll be clear here, I have a Mac Studio. I want to believe in the Mac Studio, and, and they made a new Mac. They should keep making it. I'm wondering if what we're seeing here, and this goes to the iMac as well, is we're starting to see the shape of Apple's Apple Silicon strategy for the Mac, which is some products get every generation and some don't, right? So M1 iMac, M3 iMac, no M2 iMac. Why not? Yep. They, they, they're just, it's not, it's not a, it's not an every 18 month or every year priority. So they're just not going to do it. I think it's just like desktop laptop. Like, I think that's going to be what we see. Like desktops get an update every couple of years. Laptops, every laptops year. get it every year. Yeah. Could, I think that's perfectly reasonable. In fact, um, Mac pro and Mac studio, maybe the answer is to alternate, right? I think maybe so. it's a M2 Mac, M2 ultra Mac pro and an M3 Mac studio, um, also, I think what Mark is dangling here is the idea that for the M3 or M4 generation, they will eventually go back and do that quad, you know, whatever it's called, M4 Extreme, whatever mm-hmm. it is, chip that will really push the Mac Pro out in terms of performance. Um, because I actually think that having the Mac Pro out there and then still having the Mac Studio is a good thing. Otherwise, we're going to get in a situation um, where we don't have uh an m2 max on the desktop right because the desktop only has the m2 and the m2 pro and the mac mini Mm. and then and then i don't think they're going to make an m2 max version of the mac pro that would to me that would be really sad right because that would be a very expensive computer that's not very fast because it's just the m2 max it's not the it's not even the ultra yep uh we'll see about that and that's also why i think that the mac studio is viable because it's a good place to put the max or the Max and the Ultra. It makes most sense if there's an Ultra and then something above Ultra. Because then it's like, well, Mac Studio will do Max and Ultra. Mac Pro will do Ultra and beyond, right? Mm. Um, but maybe this is the answer, is that these are desktops. The volumes aren't worth redesigning them, you know, or, or even revving them every 
18 months, and that they're going to do some alternation. And so the iMac goes every other, the Mac Studio goes every other. Um, the I Mac Mini that's got an update faster, but may, but I wouldn't put money down on the Mac Mini no. getting an M3 version. Now that they've got they that, had to tidy the higher that end version, like yeah, the Mac did. Mini was was messy and like they were dragging along the Intel one. Right. Like they had to take care of that. Exactly. But now that business is settled, right? So maybe no Mac Mini until M4, right? Yep. I think I think it's not an unreasonable scenario to say that that, especially since three quarters of the Macs that they sell are laptops, that that should yes. be their priority. Every time there's a new Mac generation or chip generation, there should be a new MacBook Air and a new MacBook Pro. And if you do other laptops, great. Yep. But that's that's what the, should be the priority. And then the desktops will take care of themselves every other year or so. I mean, if you think about it, so if we're saying that the desktops are 25% of Macs, right? There are more desktop models than there are laptops right now. Right. Which is... right. That is a very strange balance. Like that to it me is. feels like the balance of a company who the people inside it really care about desktop Macs. So they keep making yeah. new desktop Macs, which is great. I care about desktop Macs. We all do, right? Like it's good to have, but you've got to be sensible about the amount of R&D and development and just that right. goes into these products. And so it means that all right, we'll have a bunch of options and these things, they do different things. They're made for different use cases, but we can't rev them every year or in some cases every two years. But with some of these, especially at the higher end, right? And even the, the iMac where, where it is placed, actually, you know, obviously all the desktop Macs can handle it based right. on where they fit. So like the iMac, the M1 iMac doesn't need a new base chip every year because of where it's going to be used, right? Similarly, like right. something like the Mac Studio and the Mac Pro, those chips are so powerful that you don't need to do one every time. I, I agree. And nobody's replacing them right after after no. 18 months or anything. Because it's too expensive. It, depending on how you look at it, by the way, it's four and four. It's, it's uh, they're four... <laughs> Uh, laptops and four desktops. But again, it's 75, 25, desktop to laptop, laptop to desktop. So it's still too much, right? To take to take these four and those four, like these, the four desktops should probably not require anything compared to the attention of the, of the laptops. And we also know that the rumors are that there are more laptops. How would you go four and four? Is he doing it by size? Thir- there are 13 MacBook Pros and a, there are three MacBook Pros and a, and a MacBook Air. Okay, so I was just thinking like, brands but sure i get you by like models right you got macbook air macbook pros too if we if we leave the chips out of it the physical hardware there are four right. laptops and okay. there are four four desktops right mac mini imac mm-hmm. mac studio and mac pro it's still there mm-hmm. and it will be there presumably mm-hmm. so it's four and four but still i mean again the and, and that leaves aside that like engineering that mac pro is a huge amount of work because it has to do things apple silicon's never done and while that may have some nice spin-off benefits for the Mac and maybe even the iPhone. Who knows, right? Who knows? Or the iPad? I don't know. But in the in the short term, they're spending a lot of money on a product that very few people are going to buy. So uh yeah, it's it's I think that they feel responsible to to curate and keep the desktops alive, but it does kind of make as a person who uses a Mac desktop, it makes me sad to say this, but it's absolutely the case that they should be spending more time on their laptops. And this is why when there are all those rumors of the larger MacBook Air coming out, it's like, please, Apple should be devoting even more time yes. and thought to laptops because the Mac, the definitive Mac is a MacBook Air, right? It's not a MacBook Pro. 
It's not an iMac. It's not a Mac Mini. It's not a. It, it, it's not a Mac Pro. It's the MacBook Air. That is the definitive Mac and has been for more than a decade now. That is the best-selling Mac model. It's still the best-selling Mac model. It doesn't mean that the only Mac is a MacBook Air. But like, if you're starting to think about the MacBook Air and you're like, well, w- w- could they do more with that? Maybe they are. Maybe they're making a bigger one. But like, absolutely, their focus should be on the 75% of the market, not the 25%. This episode is brought to you by Electric. When leading your small business, it's not all glitz and glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours trying to find a laptop lost in the mail for a new hire or dealing with an untold list of potential technical emergencies, which you're well equipped to deal with, right? You've worked it out on your own, especially if you're listening to this show, but maybe you just don't have the time. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like the one that you run, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to doing what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. You can take it from me. This has been incredibly important in the years that I've been running my own companies. Finding people who can take on work for you or finding companies like Electric that can take on work for you, it frees up your time, but it also frees up your mental energy. It's just like a weight off your back. You never have to think about like, oh, what if something's going to break? Like you just don't have to worry about it because Electric take care of it for you. And that is a true gift that you can give yourself as a business owner. For upgrade listeners, Electric are offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash upgrade. That's electric.ai slash upgrade. Go there right now to find out more and get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show and Relay FM. Money, 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 money. It's that time again. Money. Apple's Q1 2023 earnings. The one we were waiting for because you love of it. the bloodbath that was going to occur <laughs> that we knew love about that. in advance where Apple would put out a um, kind of investor press release, I guess, to say that they were expecting a big decline because of shutdowns in uh, China and their factories. We spoke about this some time ago. It was going to restrict iPhone sales. And if you're Apple and iPhone sales are restricted, things are going to be bad for you. So it turns out this wasn't all that was bad. And it also, there was some good. So let's do the top line and then we'll dig in uh, kind of product by product as well. Revenue, $117.2 billion, down 5% year over year. Just as a a note, can you imagine $117 billion in a quarter and it's a bad quarter? I know we talk about these things a lot, but like when you you tether these things back to reality. (laughs) Profit. $30 billion profit. $30 billion profit. What a disaster. Also, I'll also point out, because again, it does get distorted by Wall Street and and the search for growth. Apple's second biggest quarter of all time. <laughs> yep. Only last year's holiday quarter was bigger. Yep. iPhone. Here it is. $65.8 billion down 8% year over year. The Mac. $7.7 billion down 29% year over year. 
But don't worry, everyone. Here comes the iPad at $9.5 billion, up 30% year over year. Services at 20.8, up 6%. And wearables, home, and accessories, 13.5 billion, down 8% year over year. I'll read a quote from Jason's Macworld column. During Apple's hour-long quarterly conference call with Wall Street analysts, the word headwinds was used 11 times, (laughs) slightly edging out the 10 times we heard the word macroeconomic. Can you explain a little bit? This is very helpful to me, again, to get this like recontextualization of why these numbers are even worse than they would have been otherwise. Sure. I'll give you an example. Um, in so so you're in you're you're selling iPhones in China. And you look at these numbers and the iPhone is down, and the iPhone is down in China. And you say, Oh, they sold fewer iPhones in China. They made less money in China. They didn't. They didn't make less money in China. If you counted up all the Chinese money last quarter and counted up all the Chinese money at the year ago last quarter, this year's was more. So how could it have gone down? Well, the answer was the way these earnings reports work is you convert it to U.S. dollars. So year ago quarter converted to more dollars than the, year, than the current uh, quarter did because of uh, foreign exchange headwinds, as they call it, because of a strong dollar. And that happened all over the world. They, they said, you know, it's like basically 8% of everything got eaten by foreign exchange. Um, now, my, I, I don't believe Apple brings every all the money back to the U.S., right? Like, I think that part of the game is they keep, if, if it's, it's an unfavorable foreign exchange uh, environment, they might keep it in the local currency until there's a better time to move it back to the U.S. I don't know all the details there. Of course. I mean, especially they don't need the cash, right? Like, it's not like they're like, oh, we're going to bring it back because right. we, we need to, we need it. <laughs> In fact, famously, they didn't bring the cash back because they were going to pay taxes on it for a mm-hmm. while until there was sort of a tax deal, and then mm-hmm. they brought the cash back. So uh, so this is all about the reports, right? So what they say is, look, actually, the sales were strong. Ironically, they stopped reporting unit sales a few years ago, and that would allow them to make that clear. <laughs> but yep. they, they hid that, and now it's all in revenue. And so the U.S. dollar revenue... Uh, is a, is a shortfall, even though they say that this was hugely uh, impacted by the uh, the foreign exchange headwinds. And then the other issues they said is like, obviously, COVID shutdowns affected them. And generally, the the macro global macroeconomic climate, which is sort of like people really worried about a recession and not spending money and the war in Ukraine being having all sorts of follow on impacts. uh you know, they threw out a bunch of other stuff there. Yeah. But I think there is there is truth in the fact that foreign exchange makes their business. Look, I, I saw somebody on CNBC because I watch CNBC for half an hour yeah. every quarter just because it's fun and weird and another world. And I saw somebody there say, everybody's got foreign exchange problems. They should, sh- they should stop talking about foreign exchange. It's like, okay, here's, here's, here's what I think. If the goal, what, what do we get out of these things? One of the things we get out of this is to understand Apple's business. 
But what Wall Street types want is they want to get a view of where Apple's business is going, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For Wall Street types, it's all about where's the growth coming from. They want signs that wearables is slow or services is slow or something like that. They could or or whether iPad is is this a one time and why? And we can go into that because it is kind of a one time bump for reasons. Um, but the goal of Wall Street is like to look at these facts and and get a better idea of where Apple's business is going. I would argue <laughs> that if you're freaking out about the numbers and not taking into account the foreign exchange and going, ah, everybody's got foreign exchange problems, you're not, you're like losing information about where Apple's business is going because it is, it is super relevant about whether a drop in iPhone sales is, it, instead of it being flat, it wasn't going to be up, but instead of it being flat is because of foreign exchange or is because people don't want the iPhone anymore, right? Those seem like really different scenarios. Mm -hmm. And if you're a Wall Street analyst, you kind of want to care about which one of those it is. Um, but I think maybe some Wall Street analysts don't care because they just, they've got their, I don't know what they're doing, but they're like, they're obviously the people who are in the bag for Apple and the people who are out to get Apple. And that seems to be part of the game that everybody plays. Uh, anyway, I think the foreign exchange thing is interesting because what it suggests is that uh, it would be, it, I actually would find it really valuable if we could take the foreign exchange out and look at the pure sales figures, but yep. they don't show us those anymore. We have to kind of rely on them to use, to mention, that, mention it when it serves them, which in this case it did to say iPhone sales would be flat, which is okay. It's not, you know, the iPhone has been sort of flat-ish for a while now. Um, also, as we've talked about on Upgrade a lot, they go in macro cycles where there's a new, new iPhone and then there's a huge sales spike. And then there's a couple of years where it's kind of quiet because the iPhones are out there and they're still selling a lot of them, but they don't get that growth spike that happens uh, and has happened the last like two or three times they've done this where there's a new, new iPhone and then there's a huge spike of growth. Which is probably this yeah, which this fall yeah will be one of those quite quite possibly yeah because the iPhone, uh, what was it the iPhone six that had yeah. the larger that was that's the classic and then the iPhone ten, 10. and, and then, then the iPhone 13. 12? 12 13. Or 13. One of those two, and like you uh, may yeah. think to yourself right yeah. like because we've mentioned it a couple of times like well to solve the issue of Wall Street why don't they just for this time say what the unit sales were right. But the reason they won't do that is the reason they got rid of them is they don't actually want people to know how much money they're making per product. Like, yes, this is the thing that, that Apple that would just give don't away want. Yeah, too much. The average selling price, and yeah. it, they consider that you know that's information that other people could know, and they don't want them to know that. But it, when it serves them, they will say, "Oh well, iPhone sales were actually flat." That's all they're going to yeah. say. But they'll say it because it serves it serves them because it makes their business look better. But, um, but in this case, that's so. There's a lot of headwinds. There's a lot of uh, macroeconomic one analyst used the phrase um, soft macro, which I never want to hear again. Mm. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, there was a lot of talk about that. The fact is it was a weird quarter. Um, I actually, I mean, my overall feeling is that given what we were warned about them, not, the, the, you know, the, for those who don't remember, the bottom line was Apple came out in November and basically said, we have a factory that makes iPhone Pros and we and it's shut down and we're not going to be able to fulfill demand for the iPhone Pro during our most important quarter of iPhone sales. Given that, I think they did okay, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, given that, it down, down, revenue down 8% when sales were flat from, flat from their best quarter ever. <laughs> 
if you if you take foreign exchange out of it, given the lack of uh, of supply, and Tim Cook said they're back in, they've got the supply now, and we cited how the all the ads came back right yep. as the sign where it's like aha, they have iPhones again because they're advertising the iPhone Pro again when they they had switched to the iPhone and not the iPhone Pro. So you know, I look at this and I I think. It's a it's a weird quarter. It's an unusual quarter, but um, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't overreact anyway. But like, it's their second best quarter ever, and there were positive signs and there were negative signs. And I think their business is incredibly healthy. And I do think that we're seeing a little bit of in the in the Mac, especially there may be a little bit of a hangover from people buying Macs during the pandemic. But at the same time, a lot of this stuff is more about what they did last year at the same time, right? Because the iPad figures are up so much because yep. the iPad was, they couldn't make enough iPads last holiday quarter, if people remember that. And this holiday quarter, not only could they make enough, but they had the new low-cost iPad and they had the new iPad Pro, the M2 iPad Pro. And anecdotally, I feel like I've heard from a lot of people who bought that 2018 iPad Pro who updated to the M2 iPad Pro that that I mean, was enough always of a time. Natural yeah. updates, no matter sure. what we say about sure. the year over year, right? Like the people will always do it, right? But that's a good. Com- that's the best compare, as yeah. they say, right? Which is it was a really lousy iPad quarter, and now the, there's been a great one. And the Mac went the other way, where the Mac didn't have anything, <laughs> right? They they obviously they deferred the announcement of those MacBook Pros and the Mac Mini until January, and they had the quietest Mac quarter in terms of announcements. And the sales were down, which is unsurprising because new models definitely help drive sales. So that's not that surprising. And I don't think necessarily, whereas the year ago quarter, they had new MacBook Pros. So I don't know if this, you know, sometimes I think that the black line in my charts, which is that four quarter moving average is the best line to look at because it smooths out a lot of the, a lot of the drama of year over year change and just and seasonality it yep. just kind of flattens it out. So yeah. yeah, it was the worst Mac quarter in quite a while. Um but it mostly be, it was still again if you had gone back a couple of years it would have been the best Mac quarter ever. It's just that then they had a run during the 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 right after the pandemic started they had and Apple Silicon came out. They had a huge run of Mac sales. And it's not unreasonable to say that um that some of those sales were to people who are now you would have waited longer <laughs> and that there's a little bit of a hangover after they, they do that big blob of sales. Um, and the good thing is people don't buy a Mac and then never buy a Mac again. It's just that they, we may have like a bulge. There may be some weird kind of mega seasonality now where due to 2020, <laughs> There's going to be every three years or so, there's going to be a bulge in Mac buying because everybody bought a new Mac in 2020 and 2021. Um, and now, you know, that we might see an echo of that down the road, too. Yeah, I would I would expect that their Q2 will probably be their biggest Q2 ever by a nice chunk because the laptop slipped into it, right, which otherwise wouldn't have happened. I think one of the reasons that this quarter's Mac sales were down. And not, right. as you say, you, there was a bunch of reasons. Like one of them is that there weren't any laptops. Like the MacBook Pros missed 22. They missed it. 
Yep. So they're into the 2023 Q1 and there will be, you know, there will be a lot of people whose iPhone sales are lost forever, you know, are lost for years, right? Because they went with somebody else over the holidays. Yeah. But there'll be a, sol- a large selection of people that will have waited to buy their iPhone yeah. so they could get it and they can get it now. Exactly. Yeah, they'll put up their order and wait and they got it in January yep. and that'll show up and, and it'll be, yeah, I think you're probably right. I, I think that that's the, a- Apple said that they thought that the, um, that the next quarter would be kind of in line with this quarter, but right, like, look, I, I, I sometimes I think I feel like we overread this stuff. Um, I think clearly the biggest value we have in looking at this stuff is to understand sort of like the shape of Apple's business and how it drives them and how it affects the decisions they make, um, and can be a, an early warning sign of something going wrong. This isn't it, right? Like no. this is this is this is a company that can throw out a $30 billion profit and have people think that it's not a very good quarter. (laughs) This is a machine built to make enormous sums of money. All of their businesses look in pretty good shape. Um, You know, the Mac, the the Mac is shaping up to be a, what, 36-ish billion dollar a year business? That's the you know the Mac is at a level it's never been before. The iPad seems to have settled in. A few years ago, we used to we were thinking that the iPad was going to settle in at five billion a quarter, essentially, so a twillion billion, twenty billion a year business. Uh, now they're more like a thirty-two ish billion dollars a year business. Like so, the iPad is the best it's ever been, and that that iPad quarter, by the way, I had to look it up. It's like. Seven years since the iPad sold more revenue than the Mac, and nine years since the iPad had a, re- a quarter this big. This is, I believe, the second largest revenue quarter the iPad has ever had. Only that one huge quarter the that one, they had right? very early on that was yeah. over $10 billion. So the iPad's got the best business it's ever had. The iPhone is, you know, honestly, you know, when after it's not throwing off those um those 66 50 47% year over year growth but like the following quiet year was 9 5 3 10 and then this is down 8% i i think it's fair to say because even smaller growth is still growth that 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 little black line that shows me the four quarter moving average like this is about the most the best the iphone has ever been services and this and this is where i think it is a little more debatable about apples future services revenue seems to have slowed although again apple would say it's really affected by um by foreign exchange because they don't change what you pay you know, like they don't charge all their con- all their customers worldwide in US dollars right and so if you're paying x amount a month and the dollar gets strong you know you're still just paying that in whatever country you're in yeah i don't know about that one I think they might be hiding a little bit there, personally. Well, no, I, I just, like, services clearly needs needs some attention, I think, from them because the days of the 30% growth are over. Right. But I guess I, what I want to say is that when we see 5 and 6%, it's probably more in line with what we saw the two previous quarters, which mm-hmm. is in the teens, in terms of the actual, like, services with the with financial taken out of it. But, but it's But it certainly down, is the case. The growth. It's certainly is the case that they're not in the 25% every quarter yep. growth. I think they're more in the 10%-ish. In terms of, what do they say, the constant currency, it's probably that's what it is, 10 15%. And so that's where you you point and say, maybe not as dramatic as it looks on the charts, but services growth has slowed. And then wearable home accessories is another one of those examples where they, 
it was it was kicking off you know 20 30 40% growth year over year in the and then it slowed down to in the teens and we've had two out of the last three quarters where the growth has been down um 8% so uh some questions about wearables they said that the they said that the Apple Watch Ultra did really well AirPods Pro did really well um but the uh, this feels a little bit like a category where they did again, maybe maybe because of pandemic sales or something like that. That maybe they um, they had some explosive growth and now there's not as much room for them to grow. Yeah, the wearables one is the biggest question mark for me because the Ultra is more expensive and it's new, and AirPods Pro are more expensive than the regular AirPods and they're new, both in the quarter leading up to the holidays, right? That's a surprise to me. I would have expected that those two products would have been quite hot ticket items. Like I, I understand that we've got the you know the many reasons why things can go down. I just wasn't expecting a year over year decline on wearables with those two products. In the right. mix. Let's say that maybe it was flat, but still. I mean, I, I the, the counter argument would be maybe it was flat. And it's still the second highest wearables home accessories quarter ever. And one of the, not to bring out the old tough compare, but their last Holly quarter, they blew it out. And so you that can hide a very good quarter that's mm-hmm. just not the, but the fact is the holiday quarter grew 19, 20, 21, 22, and then in 23, it didn't grow. And so it's it's one of those things where, again, I think you can overreact to this, but what it does suggest is that they're certainly they seem to have exited their big inflationary growth period mm-hmm. of thirty percent, and and why is that? And that's hard to say, like because like you said, the Apple Watch Ultra uh, seemed to do pretty well and is an expensive product, so presumably also very uh, profitable, but definitely going to generate a lot of revenue. You know, they they also talk about like how they they brought in a lot of people who. You know, a huge number of the Apple Watch sales they got were to people who've never had a smartwatch before. So that's that's a good sign, you know, that, that is a tidbit that they're sharing with Wall Street because it is a good sign. Uh, I don't know. I, I think if I was somebody who was only concerned with growth in these categories, I would be looking at this saying the days, you know, the days of the 40% growth are over. And now these are going to be more incremental categories from here on out, unless Apple rolls out a wearable hmm, that can drive revenue hmm, and, uh, and uh, uh. different services offerings, right? Those uh. are the, those are the places where they could goose this more. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Capital One. At Capital One, technology makes direct deposits available up to two days sooner improves fraud defense with machine learning, and helps businesses manage data challenges in the cloud with Slingshot, the first solution from Capital One Software. Search technology at Capital One to learn more. Our thanks to Capital One for their support of this show and Relay FM. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Let's finish out today's episode with some Ask Upgrade questions. Matthew wants to know, do you frequently use universal control? I have an iPad Pro sitting out here on my desk. And I I guess I would say yes, because I have this iPad Pro out here. I will open it up. Uh, sometimes I'm controlling it directly. But a lot of times, if it's sitting next to my studio display, I will just control it using universal control. So 
So yeah, I would say I would say sure, frequently, not all the time, but frequently. Yeah, I don't. Uh, my the status board <laughs> iPad that I had, you know, like I was I talk about spoke about on the show, it had widgets and stuff on it. This iPad has actually gone back home. It is now a media iPad because in the, the in our new house in our in our old apartment, you know, sometimes we most days we want to eat and watch TV right at the same time, and we could do that very easily in our old place, but in our new place, the, the where the TV is and where our dining table is, it just doesn't match up. So I was like, well, an iPad would be really good for this to like watch something for 10, 15 minutes before we go sit on the sofa. I have an iPad at the studio. It's 11 inches, the iPad Air. I'm just going to bring it home. So it is now a media mm. iPad. It's now just full of media apps. Uh, and we use it for that when we're, you know, sitting at the dining table, catching up on an episode or something while we eat dinner. So I, I also now don't have an iPad here at the studio, which is like interesting to me. Hmm. I did today have a thing where I wanted to mark something up. I was like, an Apple Pencil would be great for this. I don't have one here. <laughs> so I had to do it in like text, you know, like on a, like I had to like annotate something and we're using just Ugh. a different color. It was just like, this is like an not animal. the way, like an animal. This is not the way I want to do this, but I didn't really have another way to do it. Uh, but yeah, just again, I I don't have one here now. I'm I, this isn't like a thing. I use an, my iPad Mini. I adore my iPad Mini. Use it all the time. Love that thing. Uh, but I just keep it at home, and it wouldn't do for what I wanted anyway. But yeah, just a interesting thought. But universal control. I'm, I wasn't a super big fan of it anyway because if you did have a device open all the time, I would just find myself accidentally moving my mouse over to that device when I didn't want to. But I understand why people like it. Mark asks, regarding Phil Schiller on Mastodon, do you think Apple should have their own Mastodon instance? Should any large tech company? They could have more control over their content and it would also serve as a sort of automatic verification as well. What do you think? I'm surprisingly going to say yes. Okay, that's not what I thought. All right, go on. <laughs> uh, that's why I said surprisingly. Mm. Here's why. If, if you are... If you, as a business, decide that Mastodon is worth supporting, which I think is an open question, right? But let's just say it, that if, like, in addition to Twitter and Instagram or whatever, like, oh, well, we've got people on Mastodon. Let's try that. And you're using it for your corporate voice. I think you should own your own instance because then you control your own instance. And it's clear to anything that gets posted on there that it is in the voice of you as the corporation, as an authorized representative of the corporation. Now, there are people who who have those, you know, opinions are my own accounts, and those yeah. should not be on, if you have an account like that, you should not have that on your corporate instance, right? But there are also those accounts like Jaws's Twitter account and, and Colleen Novielli's Twitter account, right? Where it's just like, the only posts are really about Apple products. And it's very much a... I work at Apple and this is a very friendly, you know, here's the thing that we're working on at Apple thing. Like if you find from a PR and marketing perspective that having that sort of thing is valuable, I would say you should own it, right? You shouldn't be relying on somebody else. If you're going to have a an official-ish uh, presence of employees on Mastodon, um, own it. And that makes it clear that it is the business of Apple, let's say, 
and that if you are uh, if you're posting there, you're it's very clearly you're you're under the aegis. Otherwise, it shouldn't be there. I'm not sure any company would want this, but if I, as a company, decided it was strategic that we wanted to do marketing on social media that included Mastodon, I I would want my own instance. I think because it would be mine. I agree with that. I think the issue is where the line is drawn as to who gets to use that instance, right? Like if Apple set up an instance and well, they only let C-level executives sign up on that instance, right? Because like, what if like an engineer wants to sign up on that instance, but now you're responsible for anything this person says in public, right? Like there is more of a, a link to it there. So I think it's complicated. But if you're, but if you're, so again, I am, I am uh uh, James Thompson in the Discord says, as a rank and file employee, it's a bad deal. It is. But as a company, right, which is the question here, as a company, I would, Mike, I would like that engineer to know that if they get an account on this service, that they got to keep it to business. Yeah. And they got to follow the social media rules and social media policy and say, like, we'll let you tweet about the work you're doing under the, under this. You know, like you or you know, like you do on Twitter, we'll let you post about it on Mastodon, but you got to follow the rules. Um, or maybe, yeah, maybe it's just an instance that has a C level account on it or not. Or maybe you say, oh no, 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 we're part of the community. We're on Mastodon.social. Uh, you could do that. I just, I, I, but what I'm, I guess, what I'm really saying is, whatever it would be, it's not what you're thinking, right? It would just be a PR mm-hmm. vehicle. It's not going to be a thing that they set up and they're like, hey, everybody join and talk about whatever. And and again, if you're an employee and you want to talk about whatever, uh, really whatever, then the last thing you want to do is have it tied to your employment because then if you leave that company, uh, you are going to lose your social media identity. So. Uh, as a personal account, I would not recommend it. But as a PR strategy by a company, I would absolutely recommend it because it gives you complete control over it. Do you think they are going to join Mastodon? I I doubt it. Um, if it happens, it will be because the Apple or another company, Microsoft, you know, developer focused companies. If their if their audience is among the people who have sort of left Twitter or a big chunk of them have left Twitter and gone to Mastodon, I would, I would put a presence there. I'm not sure that there's anybody like, I think it's more likely that there'd be an official Apple Mastodon account for developer relations than for selling iPhones, right? Tim Cook or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, exactly. here's the thing. No, that's Apple, what Twitter's left with. That's yeah. what, tw- what is Twitter for today, if anything, is broadcast pronouncements from yeah. Jaws and from Tim Cook and all of that. Absolutely. Not, not you know, the conversational stuff necessarily, but like, uh, and a lot of us have, have, have turned the dial down or off, but... Uh, for those broadcast elements of Tim Cook saying, uh, "It's it's great, it's great to be in London today. We visited with people at the Battersea mm-hmm. Apple offices. Like that's a that's a Twitter thing, right? That's that's where that goes." Yeah, I think all of the main accounts, like they don't, it doesn't really make it doesn't necessarily make logical sense right now to just bring them to Mastodon, right? Like, yeah, that's where the community is, but Tim is not like tweet and John Syracuse you know like he's not do, you know yeah. what I mean it's just like that's not happening yeah and that's actually different with Phil Schiller right because I feel like Phil Schiller actually used Twitter. exactly yes he did right so <laughs> like Phil 
Phil is making that choice, right, as an individual. Like, a, that is a pure, like, because he would tweet people in our community, right? Like, it's a thing Phil would do, right? Because he was maybe the most, like, engaged in that way, um, or is most engaged in that way. And, like, I just feel like Tim Cook's, like, big tweets and, like, the a- Apple account is basically just used for Twitter advertising. Well, that's not on Mastodon. Um, right. You know, like all of these things, and they are—they're not going for the people in our community. They're going for the every person, the masses. Right? That's right. Who's not on Mastodon, also, right? So, exactly. like, I don't know if it—I don't know, right? Like, I think as things as they are right now, I would say no. They probably don't have some corporate uh, presence on Mastodon, but I don't. But you know, I couldn't have imagined the, what the last three months were so who knows what the next three months will be rob asks do you use photographic styles with your iphone camera and if so which one so this is where you can make choices as to how you want your images to look just as they straight come out of the camera do you use a photographic style on your iphone uh, i believe i have it turned on and it's i don't remember which one it is warm something warm Vibrant warm. I, I use know. vibrant warm, which vibrant warm for me is I I adapted the vibrant style and it, it named it vibrant warm. So I think it does that sometimes too, like because you can you can change the style. So I started with vibrant and I changed the warmth, and so I use vibrant warm, and it's always turned on to that one because I like my images to be a little more vibrant and a little more warm. There you go. And Carl asks, what do you think the chances are that the next iPad mini has an M-series chip so it could gain features like full external display support? It seems like the iPad mini has the potential to be the Mac mini of the iPad lineup. Bring your own display, keyboard, and mouse for a full desktop experience. What do you think the chances are? I'm going to say 72%. That's a good. That's good. So you're, you're feeling pretty, pretty positive on it. I am. Mostly because all attempts to make the iPad mini a low-end iPad have failed. It's not that. It's a small iPad mid-range. It's a small iPad Air, essentially. And if that's the case, it would have an M-series chip on it, wouldn't it? Yep. So that's why, you know, 72%. Those are the chances. I think they'll do it because... I think eventually all of the iPads will be M series chips. Will they do it? I don't think they will necessarily do it for this the idea of external display supports being the thing. I just think that like M series is coming for the iPad in general. I don't know. I mean, if the A series is cheaper and you can put it in a low end iPad, why wouldn't you do it? The whole goal there of that thing is to make it as cheap as possible. But the iPad mini has never been the goal to make it cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, the the additional percentage there is that they decide that the iPad mini going forward is just the low end iPad. And that's just how it's going to be. But I, I just don't I don't feel like they view it that way. I kind of feel like they view it as being a smaller iPad Air. Yeah, well, I mean, it got that design and all of those kind of aesthetics way before right. the iPad did, which is not just the way it looks. Yeah. I just, for me, I don't care. I just want them to keep doing things. Like, I don't care what they do with the iPad mini. Just keep doing something. Keep it around. I want a better screen more than I want external display support. Make the, the internal display uh, better before mm. we move to the external display. 
Thank you so much to everybody who sent in a question. You can send in your own by going to UpgradeFeedback.com and you can send in an Ask Upgrade question for us to uh, feature on a future episode. And that was this episode of Upgrade. You can check out Jason's work, including the report card. Big thing. I've already skimmed through it. I'm looking forward to reading it in full over at sixcolors.com. So many words. So many words. You can also hear Jason's podcast here on Relay FM and at theincomparable.com as well. You can hear me here on Relay FM. And you can go check out my work at cortexbrand.com. You can send us your feedback, follow-up, and questions by going to upgradefeedback.com. Thank you to our members who support us with Upgrade Plus. Thank you to our sponsors, the fine folk over at Capital One, Electric, and Rocket Money for their support of this episode. But most of all, as always, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.